welcome to the Gathering Place Church weekly podcast. We hope today's message ignites, equips, and challenges you to live out your Christian faith and to bring healing to a broken world. As we stay in a worshipful moment, you can be seated. And as it's the first Sunday, our praise Sunday, we are going to reserve that those praise songs for a coming Sunday. But we want your kids to come forward. And this is going to be something a, of a routine prayerfully we do, where we bless your children before we send them off, your sons and daughters. So GPC kids, if you're in here, you come forward, stand up here at the altar with me. Parents if or grandparents, if you want to walk up with them, you're welcome. But we're going to pray for them and bless them. Hi, Emsley. Hi. Come here, Tegan. How are you? You're precious. You can stand by me. Hi, Harmony. Yes, come on up. You won't be scared here in a few minutes, I promise. It's a holy fear, amen. This is awesome. Well, as we have the next generations that we want them to be filled just as we were singing, our sons and our daughters, that they be filled with these attitudes. They be filled with the life-giving person of the Holy Spirit, that they know Jesus all the days of their life. You guys wanna walk with me so we can see everybody? We're gonna teach you how to, you're gonna be my little altar boys and girls right now, how about that? (laughs) And know that our heart beats for this generation our servants, our workers today, Michelle and Tracy as they teach our kids, Miss Mary, Eileen, Lanita, Brinkley, who are downstairs with our babies today, Miss Kathy, who's with our juniors. We're so blessed for the wonderful children's ministries of this house uh, that we can impart the life-giving word of God into them. So kids, if you would just put your hands up like this, When there's a filling, this is just a sign of surrender, of posturing. And then church, we're gonna stretch forth our hands and bless them this morning. Father, we thank you so much for these sons and daughters. Father, I pray that they be filled with the person of Christ. Father, that they know the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus, we bless them. We thank you, Lord, that you would impart the meek and mild spirit of Jesus into them, that they be peacemakers. Father, we thank you that all the life-giving animation, energy, power of the spirit isn't just reserved to someone who is an adult, but they can know the power of the Holy Spirit at a young age. I was in fifth grade when my life forever changed through the infilling of the spirit. And Lord, we thank you that as they grow, as they be formed and matured in the things of God, in the house of God, with the people of God, around the worship of God and the body and blood of our Lord Jesus. We thank you, Lord, that these are the gifts you give us for transformation. So, Lord, we bless them today. And the church said? Amen. Amen. We'll give these guys a hand. You guys have a wonderful service. All right. You guys can exit on out over to your fun. We numbed them a little bit in worship, but as the sugar starts to 
to kick in, see a, a different side of, of these guys. Right around pickup time, that sugar kicks in for all the parents. Awesome. Well, if you'd stand with me, we'll pray as we open God's word together. If you're new here, we're thankful you're here with us today. Know you're in a good place, a good house, a house that loves the scriptures, loves the word of God. If you lift your hands one more time, we'll receive. Father, we thank you that as we open your life-giving word, that it be medicine to fallen mindsets. It'd be medicine to a cold heart. It'd be medicine to a broken body wherever pain may be residing. Lord, we thank you, just as we read in the Psalms, that it can melt the places in our lives that don't look like Jesus. And out of this melting, what can be formed and forged can look like Jesus. So Lord, we ask that you forge us by your Holy Spirit, that fire would fall down and change us and touch us. Lord, we are not here by accident. We don't take this, these moments gathered lightly, but Lord, we thank you that you're doing a deep work, penetrating the parts of our lives that need to be chiseled, that need to be matured, and that need to grow. So Lord, we ask that you grow us you mature us, you change us into the image of Jesus. We love you, Lord, and we honor you. In your name we pray, amen. Amen. Well, you can be seated, and we're going to have a, a worship moment at the end, uh, and we're going to be doing things a little differently today with communion. As we shared with you, we're going to be serving you. I know, I took your Bible. It's not good. We're gonna be serving you the communion and um, I'll speak a little bit into that uh, where you'll come forward and receive your communion and then um, you know, head back to your chair. I won't be placing it on your tongue and we're not gonna have a shared chalice we pass around, don't worry. But there's great symbolism in, um, in having it served and the giving of it. But today as we've wrapped up our series on cultivating a love for the scripture. I found it funny. Judy, you, you said this to me, but in, in Groundhog Day, you know, is, is Phil going to see a shadow or not? She sent me something that said, um, okay, if, uh, if the groundhog Phil saw his shadow, does that mean that the pastor is going to continue his sermon series another six weeks? <laughs> the answer is no today, so we found that out about last night. It's funny, all of, I saw something too where there's, there's a lady, I mean, it's, it's almost of religious proportions, the people who travel from all over the world to go and be in the town of where Groundhog Day is. And there's this lady, her birthday is on Groundhog Day and I saw some interview and she's traveled there 17 years in a row for that monumental day in her life. Pray for her, she sounds like she needs it. <laughs> but what I wanna look at today is we uh, kind of, to cast some vision, is we'll get into a series as we head into uh, 40 days leading into Easter 
Um, and we're gonna look at the king of glory, this crucified God, and what this crucifixion and this resurrection means, and why we must grasp our head around the powerful points of theology in crucifixion and in resurrection. So it's gonna be a powerful series, and it's gonna lead us beautifully into our Good Friday service, as well as into our Easter Sunday service. But as we prepare up to that place, I'm gonna have some standalone messages, one being today, of just pastoral encouragement uh, and topics that we're all thinking about, we're all wrestling with, um, and can just get us some good handlebars to the stuff of life. Uh, Following our Easter service, we're then, which I'm excited and already praying into, is we're gonna be getting into um, the power of the Holy Spirit. So we're gonna kind of follow the church calendar. We're gonna look at the ascension. We're gonna look at Christ's appearance and his resurrected body. And then we're gonna get into Pentecost of the receiving of the Holy Spirit. And so if you don't know much about Jesus and that it's more than just one day of celebration, Easter, if you don't know much about the Holy Spirit, you're about to get overloaded with it. Uh, so get ready and, and come like a sponge and ready to, and ready to receive uh, because it's gonna be good. And of course, we have so many wonderful things happening throughout the week. Our Bible studies are wrapping up, and um, we have great things planned ahead. A fellowship meal coming up um, this spring, early summer. We'll have a groundbreaking service over in the new building. We'll set up shop, and we'll worship there on a Sunday morning. We'll give details of what all that will look like. But it'll be, uh, it'll be a wonderful time as a church family celebrating all that God is doing. I saw Everett's eyes back there when he heard music set up. His eyes got really big because he doesn't know about that yet, but just pray for him. (laughs) But if you, what I want to talk about today, if you're taking notes, um, is along the lines of the generosity of Jesus. You could even uh, take notes uh, and write it down as a theology of giving. Theology of giving. And what this sermon is not going to be is a sermon on tithe or a sermon on offerings or on money. Now, all of that is encompassed into this, but before you ever get into making it about what is in my billfold or what is in my pocket and what I give in just one dimension of a transaction that can be a transaction mindset with God, I want you to see that there is rich, beautiful theology around the person of the Godhead, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, that by their nature, they are extremely and extravagantly giving. And when you get a revelation of how giving your God is, it should burst forth something that is not rigorous, law-filled, obligation-like, but it should burst forth something that is so free-flowing because of how much God has given to me. And what we've got to be careful of, and I think we all, in and out of seasons, in and out of when the pressure's applied, we can look to God and say, why aren't you giving me more? Why aren't you doing more? Why is this happening? Why is that happening? And what I want you to see today is to develop a deep depth, if I can just light the match, and for you to see through scripture that your God is a giving, generous God. So are we ready to dive in today? We're going heavy in the scripture, so lock and load, uh, because this is the place we want to gain this beautiful 
theology. This is not my opinions. This is not, uh, you know, giving is more than just a moment or point in the church. It's more than just a check that you write. It's more than just a tithe that you give. A lifestyle of generosity is, a, is that, in what I just said, it is a lifestyle. And so don't limit it to just one point in your life, but let it be a lifestyle that when people see us, because the church, a Christian should be known more than anyone that they're a giving people. Not just monetarily, but we are giving with our lives. We are giving at the core of who we are. So I was thinking of of Psalms 127. If you put this up, this is really even speaking into the moment with our kids of blessing them. And as we have the wonderful opportunity to build God's house physically, what we're doing in the season is we are gonna see God's house being built physically, but there's something much deeper being spilt spiritually. And I love what the scripture says. It says, unless the Lord builds the house, don't you wanna be a part of a church that the Lord is building it, not man, not programs, not strategies, not initiatives, And this is a part of where you hear a little bend in my preaching, is that when you take the modern church, and if you were to open it and put it in scripture and rub it a little bit and say, now when I open and look at it, does it look like scripture? There's so much of a corrective nature needed in what we see in what we call church. And so if you're not constantly, and this is just a lifestyle, if you're not constantly bringing your life if you're not bringing your worship, if you're not bringing your giving, if you're not bringing your theology and sharpening it with the acts of scripture, you will drift into some pretty strange things and some pretty weird encounters or some weird points of theology. So this is why we opened up the year with cultivating a love for scripture is it should be sharpening your acts that your life should look like Jesus and your church should look like Jesus. So this is my heart, my goal, is that unless the Lord builds the house, what it says, it says that they labor in vain. Now, personally, I can never, I would never want to build something that at the end of my life, when I stand before Jesus, he says, I never asked you to build that. It's not what I was looking for. And the same is with your life. When you build a life and you say, well, I felt God said, or I felt God did, and I felt God moved, And he looks back at you and says, that's not what I asked you to build. So we don't want to labor in vain, but we want to go to the divine blueprint, the scriptures, say this is how we will build our life. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchmen stay awake in vain. It is in vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, for so he gives his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. Aren't you thankful for our children, your children, your grandchildren? They are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. Happy is the man, happy is the house, happy are the people who, is, who has his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but shall speak with their enemies in the gate. Now, this just speaks directly into our children's ministries, Zion Christian Academy, that we want our kids launched as sharp arrows, as straight arrows. In a world that is trying to bend them and break them, indoctrinate them, over-sexualize them, the house of God is the place that they become straight arrows 
and they're shot straight into the world, not to become like it, but to change it for the glory of God. So this is a house we're building, and as you build your home, and you teach your children and raise your children, don't do it in vain, but do it the way that is prescribed in the word of God. You know, one conviction I have, and that I fight to have, is I wanna fight for the presence and purity of his house and leave the growth to God. Fight for the presence and purity, leave the growth to him. And this should be what it's like in your home. Fight for the presence and purity of your kids and let God bring the sports teams, let God bring the opportunities, let God bring all the stuff, but fight for the presence of God to be in your children and for the purity of your children, which ultimately is the biggest fight of our generation and is the biggest fight of our world because our world and our culture, I think you'd say amen, pastor, does not favor, value, and esteem the presence of God and the purity of our kids. That's what is being undercut and undergirded. So those were just a few thoughts before we get into the message today. You know, I was thinking too is in Psalms um, 91, which we love and, and we say and we, and we read and we pray over our lives, uh, it actually speaks, when you go to the, the wilderness season of Jesus and his fast, when he's tempted by the enemy three times, and when Jesus replies, it is written. So he defeats the enemy with the word, but what you've got to understand what the enemy does and what he did in the garden and what he does to Jesus is he takes the scripture and he twists it. So when the enemy says to Jesus, why don't you ascend the highest point, throw yourself off and your angels will catch you. It's one of the temptations of Jesus that the enemy's bringing forth. What the enemy is actually quoting here is Psalms 91. And I want you to see this. In verse 11, he says, for he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. In their hands, they shall bear you up lest you dash your foot against a stone. But what's funny is the enemy leaves out the part of his defeat because if you read in verse 13, it says, and you shall tread upon the lion and the cobra, i.e. the lion and the serpent. So what is funny about our spiritual enemy, Satan, is he will take the scripture but leave the parts out about his defeat but make you think that he has full reign and full access and uh, full demonic influence in your life. But understand that you defeat the enemy with the word and what he tries to twist in your life, throw the truth right back at him and it sends him running out the door. You tread on him, he does not tread on you. Let's make it normal again where we tread on the enemy and we're not such a broke, damaged, addicted people where we're always treaded on. So as we look into the generosity of Jesus, we look into having a right theology of giving. Perfect theology is this, and you can write this down. This is as simple as we can make it. Jesus is perfect theology. It's perfect theology. If you wanna understand who God is, theology by definition is the study of God. Jesus is the perfect understanding of who God is. Jesus is the perfect understanding of what success is. And what we're gonna see today 
is Jesus holds nothing back. The Godhead holds nothing back to show you and I his powerful love for us. My conviction as I stand, and any pastor when they stand and open God's word is this, is to faithfully divide the word of God to the best of our ability and to stand on the history and foundation of the church from its earliest days. That you wanna be in a, in a place, you wanna be in a church, you wanna be in a house where the word of God is rightfully and faithfully being taught and divided, that you're not giving, given every little nuance of wind of doctrine because it builds a church, it gets a crowd, it sells a worship song. And so in the day and age we live in, you have to be so discerning because it might look Christian, but it's not. It's twisted. Because you gotta, remind, you gotta remember this, uh, Satan never creates, he always counterfeits. He takes that which is pure and he twists it and he gives you a counterfeit bill. So we wanna get to the purity of, of, of what perfect theology is, which is Jesus, and understand him rightly. You gotta see throughout the scripture we establish this, that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Amen, he is the image of the invisible God. Hebrews 1, verse 1, it says that he is the express image of the glory of God. He is the brightness of God's glory. Jesus is God's heart incarnate in the flesh. If you want to see the heartbeat of God, look no further than Jesus. Uh, Philip, he says, he says, uh, would you show us the Father? And Jesus replies, have you not been with me so long? Philip, uh, he tells Philip to see me is to see the Father because I and the Father are one. So you've got to understand Jesus again is the heartbeat of the Father. And we, when we see him, we get full maturity of what it means to love the Father, know the Father, what the mission and purpose of the Father is. Uh, and so I want to open the scriptures, if you open your Bibles, to John 3, verse 14 through 17. And we'll go quickly and look at um, the scriptures this morning. Verse 14 says, And Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. Even so much the Son of Man be lifted up. This is a picture of the cross. We established this, that the serpent representing death here in the time and day of Moses, that for the serpent to be lifted up is to show that a death instrument must be lifted up. And here's what it says, so that the Son of Man must be lifted up. What was the Son of Man Jesus lifted up on? A cross, which is a death instrument. So this is, is allegorical of Jesus' day, uh, that as Moses would have to lift up a serpent in the wilderness, so there is coming a day when the Son of Man would be lifted up on the cross. Why? Verse 15, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave, everybody say gave. gave, his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved. So we look, as scripture would say, at a wicked, perverse, adulterous generation and on one front, it can be so easy to judge it and get a religious spirit to separate completely from it. And there is a very clear divide. 
But understand we are to go missionally into this world and we are to see it redeemed. We are to see it healed. We are to see it uh, uh, rescued, right? That we are all on a rescue mission. Now, we don't take that lightly and you don't send your six and seven-year-old kids with a missional mindset saying that they're gonna go into a corrupt world and change somebody. Now, those things can happen, but your job, first and foremost, as a parent, is to raise them up in the admonition of the Lord and make sure that there is maturity and that evil, don't out, evil does not outwin good. So we don't gamble with our kids. We make sure that they are raised up, first and foremost, in the admonition of the Lord. So when we see that God is the ultimate giver, this is what we're gonna see today, uh, he didn't just give us one little dimension or portion of himself. He gave the entirety of who he is. And John 3.16 is the um, apex of all of our faith and of our theology and understanding who the person of, of God is, who the person of Jesus is, that in the very nature of this gospel, in the very nature of what we confess, what we believe, how we build our life, it is all surrounded and absorbed and consumed in the fact that God first gave. And he did not just give an encouraging word. He, did just, he just didn't shout from heaven. He just didn't send you a Bible. He gave his very being. He gave his entire self. And I don't know about you, but there is nothing more fully, there is nothing more powerful, there is nothing more complete than one, when one gives of his entire self. When you think of the God-man, Jesus, crucified on the cross, blood dripping from his brow, his side pierced, water and blood flowing from it, there is nothing more that one can give. And many of us, again, we approach God and we say, we might not say it, but we think it, have you given me enough? We feel God owes us something or we have a victim mentality that God should be giving us more. But you've gotta understand that God has given us everything because he's given us himself. So this is where the foundational part of having a theology of giving starts with him first. Wrote this down, if God gave his own son, what good thing would he withhold from us? He holds no good thing from us. And many of us think that God is being chintzy with us, he's being cheap with us, he's withholding blessing from us but he withholds no good thing. Galatians 1.4 says this, he who gave himself, say himself, you're gonna see this a lot, we're gonna go on a spree of seeing how himself was given. He who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. When we think of the value of Jesus, how valuable is he? He's worth everything. So you're gonna see this over and over in the pattern of scripture that he consistently and continually gives of himself. We need to remember what the scriptures say too, that in context of the scripture, he gave himself for our sins that our sins are as far from us as the east is from the west, that though our sins were as scarlet, he's made us white as snow. 
that our sin is thrown into a sea of forgetfulness. But how much of many times when we know things we've been forgiven from and set free from, that sea of forgetfulness doesn't feel like a sea of forgetfulness. You've gotta remember in God giving of himself it's that this becomes a reality for us and how we walk that out. It's a, ref- it's a free reception on our end, but it cost him everything. See, what we've got to understand about when a gift is given, like salvation, is it costs us nothing. The gift is given, but then the responsibility then is put in our hands of how now are we going to steward it. And I think many of us, we take the gifts of God and out of ignorance, out of, uh, there's not maturity in place, and God knows these things, but we can't take it as a license to say, I'm going to handle it lightly, I'm gonna handle it cheaply, I'm gonna handle it sparingly, I'm gonna be wasteful with it. That when there's such a great gift given, your whole life should be given back in response to What a gift, and when I look at the cross, I think of the cross, and I think of what was given, what Jesus has done, and what he's doing, it should result in worship in everything we do. He's given away of himself. Titus, or Ephesians 5, 2, it says, and walk in love as Christ has also loved us, see it again, and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice of God for a sweet-smelling aroma. You see, Jesus is a sweet-smelling aroma to the Father. And when we are in Christ, when we're stewarding this great gift, guess what? Your life begins to be a sweet-smelling aroma. The, the, the fullness and the maturity picture of salvation is that your life is not a toxic stench of sin, but your life is becoming this beautiful, sweet-smelling aroma to your Father. That this is the purpose of our maturity and growing up in Jesus. Titus 2.14, who gave himself, once again, for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people zealous for good works. We read this on um, Thursday Night Men, that when we see the one who again gave of himself, it puts a zeal and a passion, like the end scene of the movie Saving Private Ryan, when Tom Hanks is about to die. He grabs Private Ryan and he says, do something with your life. Look at all the blood that was spilled so that we could rescue you. And this is a picture of we do not want to waste it. We want to be zealous for the kingdom and the good works of God. And I think many of us, we, again, we, we don't have a, a full picture and a full revelation of this. And so we just go about lackadaisical with the things of God. And again, where I'm, I'm wanting to get you to today that a theology of giving has to be first seen in Jesus, that this goes, you're just scratching the surface when you just give monetarily, but the whole person of the Godhead is, is giving by nature. God, hear it this way, God is more giving and easily gives 
quicker and easier than you take a breath. It's who he is. When you think of generosity personified, you should think of the person of Jesus because that's who he is. That's how giving he is. And love, by definition, is self-sacrificing, is giving. You can't love and be selfish. That's why in a marriage, if you have two selfish people, there will be no exchange of love happening. But when you have two selfless people, there is a beautiful exchange of love that will preserve you, that will saturate you, and that will be uh, the medicine and the harmony and the exchange, the fuel you need to live uh, marriage and to walk out marriage in the way that God intended it. First Timothy 2.6, once again we see, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. He gave himself to purchase us. That's how much, again, he loves us, to make us his own. And you gotta see when you get into these scriptures, you gotta begin to see the, the personal aspect of this, the intimate language of it, that Jesus is deeply in love with his bride. Deep, Jesus is deeply in love with his church that he's just not looking for this exchange of worship, now give me something because I gave you something. What is that? But when you get to the, the closeness and the intimacy of God's heart, you begin to see that this is a love relationship between you and him, uh, that there is beauty, there's grace, there's mercy, and there's everything that your soul longs for and the places of your discontentment can be beautifully fulfilled in him because of what he has given. Galatians 2.20, you know this one. I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. So you're seeing this pattern in this picture that you serve a generous God who just doesn't give you a word, who just doesn't give you healing, who just doesn't give you a miracle, though that's a part of who he is. But understand that all these things we pray for, healing, a miracle, um, we pray for resource, we pray for blessing, in the giving of himself, it is the treasure chest that all of that is put into. And so many times we just want to single something out that I haven't been given this, that which I'm praying for, but we've thrown out the entire chest. Because by nature, he's given again of his entire self. The Father sees us in the Son in the most beautiful way that Jesus has a soft spot and a burning mercy in his heart and he sees us and has an immeasurable love for his son and we've gotten wrapped up in that. I mean, this is what it means to be in Christ. That when the father sees us, he sees the son. And this life again of stewarding this gift is we want him to see Jesus in us. Not that you've just been covered with something and then you go on and live your life, you got your ticket, but that we become made like Jesus and, and we work this thing out and we allow it to be this, 
this beauty and letting go and taking on who he is. So don't shortchange yourself and don't think there's not hope and freedom for you because, well, I prayed this prayer and I said this thing and now you walk away from God because you didn't get your blessing. When God has given of himself and we're gonna see that in Holy Communion, he continues to give himself. And this is the hope we have. Luke 22, 19 through 20. And this should set the posture in the heart of when we take communion today. He took the bread, he gave thanks and he broke it. He gave it to them saying, this is my body, which is what? Which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Is this his body that he gave once? We're talking post-resurrection, post in the place of Jesus ascended at the right hand of the Father interceding for us, is that he continues to give himself for the points of brokenness, lack, weakness in your life. You bring the brokenness of your life and you put it at the altar of God and you take of his body and of his blood and it is a beautiful picture of how he continues to give himself to us. Many of us think, God, where are you? You're off in the far distance. And he's saying, I am right here giving myself. Run to me. Get to me as quickly as you can because in the giving of myself, again, you'll have the medicine that you need for whatever you're dealing with, whatever your kids are dealing with, whatever your marriage is dealing with. I could preach a five-point message on how to have a better marriage, but if it is absent of him giving himself, those words will fall dead every day of the week. And we just settle for give me, give me the injection to put the Band-Aid on it versus give me the depth and the meat of the one who continues to give himself that will transform the members of who I am. This is where the change takes place in the giving of himself. And he knows that we're gonna forget. He knows we can be like sheep and we get busy Work shows up, kids' stuff, this game, that thing. And so he says, I know my people and I love my people, so I'm gonna give them this mystery that every time they gather together, they will do it in remembrance so they never forget that I am always and continually giving of myself. You see in a deeper picture of communion here as well? Of why it's not just some little check-in and check-out, some little part of a church service, but everything has great depth and you should have a theology around it that is rooted in Jesus. And so you've gotta see that Jesus gives himself and is giving himself for us today. You believe in that Jesus is a giver? And that he can't give any more because he's already given everything? Corey, if you come, we're gonna land the ship quickly, and this is, we'll get into this um, as we get into Pentecost, but not only does Jesus give, but how many of you know the spirit of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, is also giving? Yes. You thankful for this too? Yes. The spirit of God is actively giving? John three thirty four. For he whom God has sent speaks the words of God, For God does not what? Give 
the Spirit by measure. I mean, this is a joy. So in this gift of his giving, the Holy Spirit doesn't take your life and put a tape measure up to it and say, yep, you're just getting this measure or you're just getting this amount. Again, God has given everything. It is then why you don't see the everything that God has given you. It's because of how you're stewarding it. It's because are you, are you removing the ignorance lens of it and growing in wisdom around it? Just as I give gifts to my kid around Christmas, their birthday, a lot of things that are given to them sometimes aren't age appropriate in the respect of you get them on a four-wheeler, you get them on a, something with an engine on it, and yeah, they're driving with dad, or maybe you say, okay, we're gonna give you the chance or a bike without training wheels, you name it. They have to grow up in it and they're gonna fall and they're gonna mess up. But understand that this is how good God is. He gives, even knowing that there's times we're gonna screw it up. We're gonna mess it up. But what I'm telling you today, don't use, don't abuse that grace that he gives us because our response to be, this gift is so great that now I'm gonna throw my life into understanding how to steward it and give it back to him and it'll bring him glory. John 4, 14. I love this. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into eternal life. That there is a great gift that is given that looks like Jesus. And this water, when this when you drink of him, it springs up that which is everlasting life. Not something that is just temporary, not something just to get you by, not something just to pacify you, but it's all focused around this everlasting life. And this is the water that we wanna drink because it will never cause us to be thirsty. Acts 15, eight. So God who knows the heart Acknowledge them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did us. Again, he is not chintzy with how he gives. Acts eleven seventeen. Therefore God gave them the same gift as he gave us when we believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. Who was I that I could withstand God? This is talking about the Holy Spirit given to these Gentiles. Many would say they don't deserve this. They've not earned this. But look how God gives. You know this one, Romans 5, 5. Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out, has been shed. In other words, has been given in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. You see in this train, again, I'm overloading you with how much has been given to you. And again, when you see what has been given to you is we're about to take communion and worship. This should be the place of where your worship rests because so much has been given to you. It is a joy to give my life back to the one who gave everything to me. You know, what you come to find and 
I think we all have different journeys of this as we grow and mature. But the most we become fully alive in Christ isn't by what we get, but it's by what we give. And many times we think, I just need to hold on to more. I need to get more. But the way we become fully alive is not in the getting, but is in the giving. And again, we live in a world that says, take as much as you can, hold on to as much as you can, climb this ladder, do this, do that. But what it means, again, to be truly Christian is to have the giving spirit of Jesus operating and flowing through your life, which is way bigger than money. 1 Corinthians 2.12, now we have received not the spirit of this world, amen, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know these things that have been freely given to us by God. Powerful. You know, I've never heard anybody, when you've given something up for God, truly giving something up for God, not to manipulate God, not to give to get. This is what we got to be careful as you get into the the depths of getting a a generous spirit and a generous heart. You can't give to get something from God. Now, God does bless you. God does prosper his people. Now, that's been taken, can be taken way out in left field. But at the end of the day, it is in the scripture, God does prosper his people. He blesses his people. He moves his people forward when you follow him. But it's not in the spirit of I give to get that. I'm going to live like hell Monday through Friday, but then I'm going to write the check or I'm going to do the thing to get God to move for me. So you can't be mismanaged and misbalanced in that. That God is more looking at the entirety of who you are in your heart. That's what moves him, not what you can do for him or what you can give back to him. Now, when you get all of that operating together, you have this beautiful, generous life that just doesn't uh, bless him, but it blesses everybody around you. We all know generous people, and they are a blessing to be around. Do we want to be around the stingy person? Do we want to be around the one who's a miser, the one who is cheap with everything? Don't poke your husband or anything. We want to be around the one who is generous because this is how God created us to be. And again, when you get this revelation and this becomes your theology that God is a giver and Jesus is the perfect picture of what it means to give and you model your life in that, this is when it begins to come alive and it can change everything from your marriage, from your parenting, from your job, all of it is surrounded in this. So when you give up something for God, what God gives you back, it, never leave, it doesn't leave you in tears of pity and sorrow. It usually leaves you in tears of joy when God truly gives back with the little thing that you gave or that thing you had to lay down. Come on, we've all seen the picture of the little girl. He's, Jesus is putting his hand out. She has her little teddy bear and Jesus has this big teddy bear behind his back. And he says, if you would just trust me, if you would just trust me, But many of us in that exchange, we can't trust him. But if you understand how much he's given of himself, you will throw that thing at him because it's who he is. And he's not gonna cut you at the knees and be angry with you, mean with you, upset with you. He's always teaching us something. 
and we want to flow with him in that regardless of how uncomfortable it is and it will be uncomfortable to your flesh Luke eleven thirteen, and we'll prepare to take communion together if you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him Jesus isn't going to give you a rock when you ask for bread. When you want to know him more, he's going to give of himself. Again, when a move of the Spirit happens or a move of God that we pray for to take place in our lives, it will look like Jesus getting very involved. Right? We looked at this in the Exodus story that Jesus, the angel of the Lord, the pre-incarnate Christ, moved through the people, went from the front to the back protected them, took the wheels off the chariots and protected them from their enemies. This is powerful stuff when he gets involved in the move that he wants to do in your life. Let our motive of giving be love because the motive of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is love. When you give with that motive, it is a sweet-smelling aroma to the nostrils of your God but we've got to fight to keep the motive and not use it to manipulate him or manipulate someone or ourselves. Oh, we got one more for you. I thought you were done, but here we go. John 15, 26. But when the helper, everybody say helper. You need a helper, I know I do. But when the helper comes, whom I shall send to you, from the Father, the spirit of truth who perceives from the Father, he will testify of me. So when the Holy Spirit gets involved and begins to help, it will look like Jesus because right here it says, he will testify of me. What is on the lips of the Spirit? It is Jesus testifying of who he is, his acts, his works, his life, his healing, his power. It's how he moves and how he operates. He always testify, testifies of Jesus. So what we're gonna do is we prepare our hearts to take Holy Communion. Um, our ushers are gonna come and they're gonna serve you. And this will be a point too where you can bring your tithe and your offering as well. And Woody and Jim, they're gonna stand here. And uh, our ushers in the back banner is going to uh, come to your row and say, walk on up at your time to take communion. So we'll dismiss by rows in the back. You'll walk forward and you'll just take the communion element. You'll drop your, your tithe and offering in the basket. Many of you give online like me. So understand you can come up empty handed. It's not about that, but this is just the point in the service. And what I love about the giving nature, again, of the communion of how he gives of, of himself is there's this beautiful exchange that as we give of our first fruits to the Lord, he's giving of himself. Do you see the exchange here? That we don't, don't come into God's house empty-handed. Not so literally, but understand that it is a picture of he is giving of himself and we bring our sacrifice of praise. We bring our worship. Giving has always meant to be an act of worship, not just an exchange of I put a monetary tithe and give it to the church. But it is, should come from a place of worship. And when you get that, 
it, you actually become what the scriptural says is a cheerful giver. You don't give begrudgingly, but you give as an act of worship because God has given so much to me. So this is what it's supposed to represent. And know this too is we do this differently this week is you're not just gonna stand, take your element and, and, and partake of it. But as you make your way up each step, and this is what the early church would teach us, is each step you take to the altar is one of repentance and it's one of gratitude. You're checking your heart. Father, forgive me of my sin. Thank you for giving of yourself right here, right now. This broken part of my life, this addiction, this pain, this sin, I thank you that as I approach Holy Communion, I am grateful and I am repentive. And in the grateful repentance, you see this beautiful exchange of we take that which he is giving of himself, as Paul says in Corinthians, in a worthy manner. So this is a point where as you approach these elements, it's prayerful, it's worshipful, that we're doing this in remembrance that we do not forget. So if you'd stand, we'll pray, and we'll just bless this time. And then Kenny in the back will get us started. Father, we thank you. As we take a moment in worship, as we approach the altar, as we take of these elements, God, that you would do what you do best. As you give of yourself, that we would be reminded of who our worship is centered on, who our healer is, who our miracle is, that this God, this Godhead from the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit have given of themselves to show how much they love us, that they want us to be caught up in this love dance, this harmony, this, this beautiful exchange of death to life. So Lord, we thank you for what you're doing today as we take these elements. In Jesus' name. As you're coming forward, you can take these elements and the team's just gonna lead us in a song. And you can be seated, you can stand, and you can just take of the communion and just pray. And I believe in these moments that God can speak to you, that he can restore parts of your life, that these elements are energized with the person of the Holy Spirit, that just as you believe when someone lays hands on you and a miracle can happen, healing can take place. So is when you partake of the body and blood of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to this week's podcast. We pray it encouraged, uplifted, and challenged you to become more like Christ. We would love to hear from you. You can email your prayer request to prayer at gpcky.com. Loving our podcast? Take a moment and like and subscribe on our YouTube channel to stay up to date with all of our new content. Thanks for listening.